Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome on this weekend. It's great to be able to be here with you in person and online. I know it's a big travel weekend for a lot of folks and a, a, a weekend where, I don't know, different things are happening. So if you're joining us now or you're praying with us later, please know this. Everything that we do on Sunday mornings, from the songs, the prayers, the message, it's all designed to help you connect with the living God and to be more intimate with him. So I'd like to begin this morning with a word of prayer. So please pray with me. God, we just come before you this morning so thankful for the grace that we have received through our Lord Jesus Christ and the great love that we sing about in this worship service so far. Thank you that we rest in this love. And here and in this place, as we encounter your word, as we pray, as we interact with one another, may your love be evident, may it be so clear. And may those of us who are still seeking and learning and trying to discover what all this means, I pray that you would speak very clearly to each person today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're, on a, we're in a series called Spiritual Recovery. We've been doing this for the last well, many weeks, and we are now kind of in a place where we're uh, going through some messages that are hopefully helping you to experience more of this recovery, spiritual recovery, from the circumstances that you may have been finding yourself in. So many of us over the last year and a half have been inundated by a lot of stressors from COVID to kind of rising needs within the family to deal with, you know, illness or sickness or going to classes and wearing masks and being online with uh, workloads that are, you know, beyond reasonable expectation, a whole host of things that have been, been wearing on our shoulders. And for many of us, when this goes on for a long period of time, we experience a tiredness, a weariness. It can even lead to burnout, that dreaded word, burnout. And when burnout happens, things that we love, things that usually bring us joy, they don't do that anymore. They don't work for us anymore. So this series is all about recovery. It's learning to take on practices that will help us avoid burnout and tiredness and to recover some of the life that Jesus promised to us in the scriptures. So, a couple of words about where we are in this series, like I was saying. Number one, you've heard a number of challenges to pray, to kind of do some self-assessment over the last several weeks. And I would say to you, hey, keep going at this point. If you're just kind of learning to get into it, keep on going. Recovery doesn't happen in an instant. Just because you practice hospitality once, or maybe because you pray just once, it doesn't mean that you're going to recover immediately. We're talking about practices, things that we may do for weeks or months or seasons in order to live a new way. And number two, sometimes, sometimes challenge can create movement. Sometimes challenge is what we need to create some movement in our lives. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, challenge is actually what got me into the burnout in the first place, so why are we talking about challenge? Because I've been overly challenged for the last 18 months, for the last two years. Well, what do you mean it can lead to movement? 
Well, sometimes, in a very good and godly way, God brings challenge into our lives in order for us to move out of the situation we found ourselves in. My analogy is something like this. Sometimes, well, now that I'm older, I find myself, if I sit too long, like on the floor, my muscles get really stiff. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, good. Some of you are too young to experience this, but, but you know what I'm talking about. And the best thing to get off the ground is to have someone like, give you a hand. Just help you up off the ground because your legs are like frozen in place and it takes you a minute just to get limber again. In the same way, in the spiritual life, there come moments when we need Jesus to come by and just pick us up off the ground. And he does this lovingly through challenge. And we're going to see that more today. So take that all with a grain of salt. If you're still feeling weighed down by too much challenge, take all this with a grain of salt. But know that we're going to get into the word and there's going to be some really good things for us to hear. Okay. Today's topic is the blessedness of serving others. The blessedness of serving others. Simple outline, we're going to go through a scripture passage that talks about how Jesus served others and how he did this deeply and how he did this well and how he promised something for us who follow him. And then we're going to talk about how we might practice it today. So, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was in his upper room experience with his closest disciples. He gathered them together, and he began to teach them some really important things, things that they needed to know as he was going to the cross. And as he was doing this, John gives us an extended description of what that evening was like. So John chapter 13 explains this. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I want to talk through a couple of details as we enter into this story. This may be somewhat familiar to it, but very interestingly enough, this scene begins with Jesus realizing his power. He's about to go to the cross. For many of us, if we were in that type of situation, this would be a high anxiety moment. I mean, everything is like unraveling. It, it's a bad night, you know. And what we're hearing here in the text, what John is describing is that Jesus was in control. He understood his sense of power. He understood where he was in this universe. And this was a very important, critical moment for him to do this with the disciples. And what he did with this power next is astounding. Now, it makes us ask this question as well. What do you do when you're given power? 
What do other people do when they're given power? How have you noticed people act when they're given a lot of power in life? When people at work, people in your neighborhood, are given a little bit of power, how have they responded? And how do you respond? We'll get back to that. Jesus takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to pour water into a basin, kneels down, gets low, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. This is a really, whoops, this is a really bad moment for my microphone. Hold on a sec. If this happens again, I'll move on to the, uh, the other mic. Jesus in this moment Ted in this moment is having a struggle with a mic. Okay, I'm going to move to this mic if you don't mind. Does this work? Okay, good. All right. This will be a little better. Boy, I got totally taken out of that moment. So let's get back into this moment here, but it'll take me just a sec. Jesus was getting into this moment with his disciples. He's going to wash their feet. Now, washing feet in any time of history is nasty business, right? It's not like it's pleasant. I walk a lot. I go to the park one or two times a day, and I wash my feet at the end of the day, and I don't like washing my own feet. You know, it's pretty gross. Um, you go back a couple centuries, people didn't wear socks and shoes. They wore sandals. They walked around the desert. They took care of their farm animals. They went farming with their sandals on. And when it came time to wash feet, this was disgusting business. So much so that some of the ancient Jews refused to do this. Slaves refused this action when they were asked of it. And that's kind of an interesting way to imagine slavery, a little different from what we've seen in more modern history. But slaves would refuse to wash feet because it was so disgusting. Jesus does this. Now let's read on in the story. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. But later, you will understand no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hand and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had both uh, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. First of all, notice this. Notice that Peter has this resistance, this reaction against this type of service. It's such a lowly act. He refuses to let Jesus go to this level. Because in his mind, with all the meaning and significance that washing feet had, he was never going to let his rabbi wash his feet. But sure enough, Jesus says 
unless you do this, you have no part with me. Now, keep that in mind for just a sec, because we'll talk about that more later, about our own resistance to something lowly. But he also goes on to do this. Jesus begins washing the feet of Judas Iscariot, the one who will ultimately betray him. You gotta think about that for a sec. Now, it's one thing to wash the feet of someone you love. Like, if I were going to wash my kids' feet, yeah, sure, okay, I've done worse. <laughs> it's not that bad. But how about an enemy? How about someone who is actively against you? Someone who has betrayed you? You know, the feelings of hatred, of revenge, all the different anger that rises up inside of you? So easily could come out in that second. And yet Jesus, with his power, washed his feet. I think this is absolutely incredible. Now let's finish this part of the story. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, you, Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. A few more details in this text I want to cover with you guys. Okay, something we all know in life, right? The more you gain power in life, the more people you have to serve you. And we know this, right? We know this from fiction. We know Bruce Wayne had Alfred. We know Tony Stark had Jarvis. I don't have Jarvis but I would love to have a Jarvis to be able to say to my computer what I needed or to say to analyze or get things done. Yeah, that would, that would be wonderful, right? We don't have that, but we know that as people rise in life, they get more things done for them. So years ago, when Amy and I first moved to Houston, we bought a house here in Houston, and right next door to us lived uh, a pastor of a megachurch. He was a megachurch in a different city, and apparently the house that was right next to us was his one of his homes. You know, it was like multiple homes. And so sometimes on the weekends, he would come with his entourage. He would come with in his, his big um, mobile home and, you know, be a fleet of like five really expensive cars. They would all drive up, and you, I mean, you knew when they were home. Um, and it was a, it was a very, very... Um, what I would call an elevated stature in life. I remember one day uh, I was home uh, on the weekend. They came over. Someone came, someone came knocking on the door and said that their car battery was dead. So could I come over and jump the car for them? I was like, oh, sure, no, no problem. I mean, what's a neighbor for? A neighbor wouldn't normally do that. And I, I love working on cars, whatever. And I went over there and jumped the car. And then I just wanted to say hi to the pastor. But I got this distinct feeling <laughs> He didn't really know about this situation. I was only talking to one of the servants. And yeah, that was reserved. That contact was reserved 
for only those closest to him. I, I never really met the guy. I just met his servants. But that's, that's kind of the way of the world. Now, in other contexts, we may see this happening. In business, education, all kinds of different realms in life, we know that as people rise, they have more people who serve them, which makes it all the more interesting and all the more significant when Jesus says this. You see, the way of my disciples is the way of service. And he takes out his armor, outer garment, he puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to serve those around him. A couple ways for us to imagine this. John 13 is not the only one. There's another passage that talks about this. We'll quote. In the way of Jesus, the more authority and power you are given, the more you have an opportunity to serve and lift others up around you. In Luke 14, it says this. Jesus said to his host when he was invited to dinner one night, when, when you go to a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brother or sister, your relatives, or your neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And what Jesus is saying here is this. If you are blessed enough to give a banquet, if you had the means to do this, if you are rising in life, you have an opportunity to elevate those around you, especially those that the world has forgotten that the world does not see, that others do not recognize. You have an opportunity to raise them up. I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was at a workshop. Uh, Josh was there too on, online. We were doing this workshop with Mark Buchanan, um, and LTI was leading it. Wonderful workshop on Sabbath keeping and rest. And one of the things that Mark emphasized, Mark Buchanan uh, emphasized, was that as people... As the people of God learn to rest, there is meant to be an effect around them. This resting is not just for them. It is meant to be a blessing to everyone. So not only do you rest, but your family rests. And not only does your family rest, but the stranger and the foreigner in your midst, they get to rest too. And it's not just them. It's your donkey. It's your ox. It's everything. As you receive the gifts of God, you have an opportunity to elevate those around you. One of the distinct things about this passage in Scripture is this challenge that we're given. We are challenged over and over in Scripture by a God who is more humble than we are, by a Savior who insists on serving others and calls us to do the same. This confronts one of humanity's oldest and most poisonous sins. It confronts our pride. What will you do with the power that you've been given? This is the question 
that's before us. And this is part of the challenge that we are offered in talking about the blessedness of serving others. Now, a few more things here. One more thing that's very directly related to spiritual recovery. Why is this in this kind of orbit of messages that we're giving? Because of this. Jesus says, if you serve, you will be blessed. You will experience blessing in your life. Now, the word blessing is really interesting in Scripture because I think sometimes we in modern Christianity tend to over-spiritualize the word. So blessing, I don't know, if you think of halos and wings and, you know, heavenly cloud-like blessings. Another way to translate the word makarios in the Greek is happy. You're going to be happy when you serve like this. And I like that translation because it brings it really close. I know what happiness is about. Jesus, are you telling me that I'll be happy when I get down on my knees and wash someone's feet? That's exactly what he's saying. When you serve like this, you're going to experience a happiness. Not just a happiness of like, ha-ha, you know, laughing uh, with no respect to, you know, real conditions, but a happiness that comes from, boy, this is right. This is good. This is really, really good. And that kind of recognition that brings you a sense of joy. So I, if you haven't noticed today, I am struggling with reading, <laughs> and I can't read this very well. So I'm going to have you read this, but let me just say this is a quote. Maybe you can, you know, take this down for later. Um, it comes from Berkeley's Greater Good magazine, um, and it's basically saying that people who volunteer have been demonstrated to be happier in life than other people. The more you volunteer, the more happiness you experience. This has been backed up by sociological and psychological studies, and it's really interesting. And what the study goes on to say is that not only is this true of, is you know, it asks the question, is it just because happy people are so happy that they want to go and volunteer? Or is it the case where people volunteer and then they experience the happy along the way? And yeah, it's both. And it's really the case that the more you volunteer, the more happiness you will experience. And the lower you are in, a, in your sort of mental health state, the more you volunteer, the greater uplift you have the potential of experiencing. kind of love that, the way that modern medical and psychological studies have kind of added some extra weight to the words of Jesus. Okay, so let's get practical. What might service look like today? What might serving other people look like in our context with COVID in the mix, with these mass with all these different scenarios that we're going through these days, with a lot of work and a lot of challenges, how might we serve? Do we need to literally wash someone's feet and take off our jackets and get a basin of water and wash? Years ago, I um, went to a conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church, our denomination, and heard about some colleagues in India that were actually doing this. They were washing people's feet. And as they did this, they were changing the world around them. So what they were experiencing was this. So 
as many of you know, India as a country and as a culture has a distinct caste system. There are people on the high caste, middle caste, and then there's people on sort of the low end of culture. Uh, traditionally known, many of us have heard of it called the untouchables, the folks that are near the bottom, right? Um, also called the Dalits. And people near the bottom are often the subject of persecution. Uh, they're the targets of human trafficking and stuff. It's, there's all kinds of things that goes with living at or near the bottom in India. Now, what this ministry does is it takes people to these remote villages and they wash the feet of people who are deemed untouchable. And what that has been doing is it has been giving them worth. It has been giving them a sense of dignity and honor. It is elevating those who can't elevate themselves. And this is bringing reconciliation, it is bringing righteousness, it is bringing goodness and an openness to the gospel that hasn't been there before. Now, I share this not saying that you need to do the exact same thing. You might. <laughs> but I think what they've discovered in this ministry is the uplift. It's the elevation. It's the sense that when you serve someone like this, you bring them honor. And that's some of the thinking behind Jesus' command to serve other people. So how can we do it well? Here's one suggestion. I'll offer three. Offer someone the gift of attention. A few years ago, I was invited by a prominent spiritual leader here in Houston just to go out to lunch. And he said, Ted, all I want to do is get to know you. And I was like, I was pretty flattered by that, you know? Just want to get to know your story. Just tell me more about yourself. So we went out to lunch, and he asked questions. What's your story? Where are you from? You know, how is your family? How are you experiencing God? What are your passions? What do you like to do for fun? And for the whole hour, he just spent his attention on me. It was such a gift. No one ever does that to me, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, besides me and my wife, but <laughs> no one really does that to me. I, I mean, how often do you get that kind of opportunity, right? How, when people kind of pay that attention to you and ask you, hey, what's going on? How's, how you doing? Or how are you experiencing this? One of the things that we can do these days that means so much is to give them the gift of attention. When someone notices things about you and takes the time to listen, so I'm encouraging you these days. You know, so last week, John, Pastor John gave this challenge to practice hospitality. I want you to take that a step further. Not just to ask someone how they're doing, but to give them the gift of attention, to focus on them, to ask them questions like this. Hey, you want to go out for lunch or coffee? Love to get to know your story better. And then, yeah, in church fashion, we can do this with one another, maybe with your small group, maybe with someone who you just met along the way. And here at Access, because in the last several months, so many people are newer to this context. We don't know who's new. You might not know that the person next to you is just as new as you are. This could be a great way to break the ice. Giving some
serve a neighbor through giving. You might be giving of your time and your talent, or maybe your treasure. My emphasis today is going to be on that last word, on your treasure. You know, it may sound like to some of you, maybe you've heard that, you know, you know giving of your funds to somebody else may, may be just a, you know, a kind of remote way of serving someone and not very intimate. And yet, yeah, certainly giving can, can operate in that way, can be very remote for some of you or some of us. Um, but what I've learned over the years, looking at different crises around the world and different issues that pop up, what I've learned is that giving can actually be one of the most effective ways that we here in North America can make a difference in the lives of people around the world, especially serving the global poor. Giving makes a tremendous impact if you know who to give to and what to give, up, what to give in. Now, this takes time and effort. It takes some brain power to learn about good organizations who do a good job giving, not just spilling money wherever and then you know abandoning situations. You need to do your research through things like Charity Navigator or you know um, other things that you can look into, read about organizations, learn about what they're like. And I would encourage you, maybe as a household or again a small group or a family unit or however you imagine it, Give along with some friends. Think about an issue. And we hear so many things these days about things going on in, in Afghanistan, about the refugee crisis happening around the world, around Haitians who are having to flee their country because of unrest in their country and because of an earthquake. What do we do about that? Do we just read and move on? That's not the way, Jesus. I think what we need to do is learn. Understand that story and do something. At the very least, we can give. We can give. All right, final thing here. Serve with God. Serve with God. Now, like I said in the beginning, the, the whole idea of having these challenges, for some of us, it may be a very tiring thing because you've been over-challenged for the last couple of years and you feel like, oh, another challenge is to go out or to give. What how am I supposed to imagine this right now? I'm feeling pretty depleted. And I want to help you understand, this is both an application and a theological point, service is not done for God in order for him to bless you. Part of the blessing is you participating in the way of God, in the way of Jesus. When you do this, you draw close to the heart of God. As you serve, you come in touch with the way that God ultimately is. Because God is a humble God. God is a service-oriented God. He absolutely loves serving us. It didn't take away from Jesus' glory to wash his disciples' feet. He was coming into his own. He was doing what he had come here to do to love us to the very end. And to do that, to wash their feet, was the highest expression of that besides the death on the cross. So when you and I begin to serve, we begin to align ourselves with the heart of God. Don't go into service thinking that blessing is on the other side when you finish things. 
Go into service knowing you will be drawing near to God himself. Now, as we go today, here's a couple of questions. You may want to jot these things down or take a picture of it if you want to just discuss them with your family later. Feel free to do that. I'd like to close in a word of prayer and just ask for God to bless us as we continue with our series. Let's pray. God, in this moment, we come before you. Thank you so much for the example that you have given to us of service, of loving people to the very ultimate end. You gave your life so that we might live. And as we go from this place today, as you go out as your servants, help us all the more to experience this blessing that you talk about, to know the joy of loving others, of loving neighbor, loving friends. God, empower us in this moment, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, as we wrap up today, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to say our sending prayer. Let's pray this together as we wrap up. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it. We envision peace and work to build it. Where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship. Where we discover gifts and offer them. And may your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Amen.